and that's on page 1139. Any children here, kindergarten to second grade, can be dismissed to Children's Church. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verses 1 through 8 this morning. Page 1139. I heard you had a blessing last week with uh, Bishop Gilbert Thompson. Right on, huh? I should have stayed in Florida another week, huh? So, had him come back again. That's good. Yeah, man. It's good just to hear what God's doing all over. I mean, God is just at work all over the world. And to hear someone filled up with the Holy Spirit come from another church and just hear how God's using him in that church and to get a blessing like that, it's just it's a great thing. So I'm glad you're here to be blessed. I, I really wish I could have heard him. So I'm going to have to listen on the, uh, the Internet, on the, uh, the sermon download. But uh, I'm glad he was here. Well, today we're studying 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8. And let me just read the verse. It says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared also to me also, as to one abnormally born. Jesus Christ was walking along the Sea of Galilee one day, and he saw these two guys fishing. Actually, they were brothers. It's kind of a family business. And uh, Jesus says to these guys who are fishing there in the sea, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so Peter and Andrew left their lines and left their boats and their nets, and they came ashore and they followed Jesus. Following involves fishing. To be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be his disciple, means that I'm going to imitate Jesus, and I'm going to do the things he did, which means I'm going to be a fisher of men, because Jesus was preeminently a fisher of men. And that's what his ministry was. He was fishing all the time, trying to find people who would come into the kingdom of God, constantly throwing out the, bet, the, the, uh, the bait and the nets, seeking to draw men in. Uh, God calls every Christian to the task of evangelism. We are all called to be fishers of men. And boy, we, we know it here in New England, huh? <laughs> because here in New England, the ratio of fish to be caught to anglers with their lines in the water, <laughs> it's just crazy. You know, there's so few of us with our lines in the water and so many fish that, that need to come to know Jesus. Uh, you all know people in your lives that you love, that you work with, that you go to school with, people in your family who don't know Jesus, and man, you are praying for them. You are yearning for them to know Christ. I talked to a guy uh, on Friday, and uh, he was telling me about a buddy he went mountain biking with 
earlier that week. And he said, this guy doesn't know Jesus. He's my neighbor. And he says, Jeremy, I have such a burden for this man. He says, I pray for him every single night. And I know there's people that you have in your lives that you've been praying for every single day and every single night. So, so we know here in New England what it means to, to need to fish, that to follow Jesus. Boy, we have to fish. But you know, the other side of evangelism is that I, I think a lot of us are intimidated by the whole topic. So as I'm bringing this topic up, there's probably a side of you, a part of your soul that's like, oh no, sermon on evangelism, you know, guilt, pressure, here it comes. I'm not good at evangelism. This is not what I do. You know, what do I say? I mean, I finally get the opportunity to talk about my faith and ah, you know, I just lock up. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to present it. And so we just feel you know, like, oh, let someone else do it. Let the pastor do it. You know, the problem is pastor has the same problem. You know, I, 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 I'm just not a natural evangelist. I'm an introvert. And uh, it seems like evangelism is for extroverts or something. I, I don't know. So it's, it's a tough thing. You know, how do you share your faith? So um, here's what I plan to do. I have three uh, weeks, three Sundays, counting today, until I go on sabbatical. And then we let the white smoke go and the bells ring and I go away on sabbatical. <laughs> and... Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and then, um, so what I want to do these next three weeks is I'm actually going to break form a little bit. And rather than doing a three-week book study, I'm going to do topical series. <sighs> Which is painful for me, but I figure I have a whole sabbatical to repent and do penance. And then when I come back in the fall, I can go back into a book study. Now, I'm going to do a, I want to do a three-week study on evangelism. I've entitled it Fishing 101. Fishing 101. Here's the three installments. This Sunday, we're going to look at the gospel. And if we're going to share the gospel, we had better know what it is. Before we start running off to share the gospel, I was like, oh, you, you know what the gospel is. And, and I want you to have it. I want you to have it nailed. You know, I know the gospel. I can tell you the gospel. And then next week, we're going to look at evangelism, which is sharing that gospel, uh, speaking it. What's the secret? What, what is the key to evangelism? And then the third Sunday, we're going to look at conversion, which is uh, the process by which the fish gets caught. What is the theological understanding of conversion? Because if you have a weird or an unbiblical or incorrect understanding of how conversion happens, it'll affect how you do evangelism. It'll affect the gospel. So you have to understand all three to do it the right way. So it's fishing 101. But today is the gospel. And, and today I want to just answer a very simple question. What is the gospel? My goal at the end of this message today is for you to, to leave here saying, mm, I know the gospel. I got it. So that's our goal. So what is the gospel? We talk about gospel music, and we say things like, well, that's the gospel truth. But you know, like, what, what, what is that? Could you tell me what the gospel is? Uh, yesterday I did a, a wedding, and at the end of the wedding I signed a marriage license. Reverend Jeremy Rennie, minister of the gospel. You know, what is it that I'm ministering? What is the gospel? What does it mean to do that? And so today I want to get really precise. I want us to become like theological engineers. I want us to be nitpicky. Get out your little slide rule and your tape measure. And, and let's get very precise about what the gospel is. Because if you don't know what the gospel is, then when you go off to do evangelism and save the world, I mean, you're going to be doing the wrong thing. And you're not going to be doing evangelism at all. 
So this is like the starting point. And if you get this wrong, then everything else gets fouled up downstream. So, so we've got to start here really precise. So today is going to be kind of like theological wonk Sunday. We're just going to, you know, uh, get real nitpicky about this. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, which is a very precise explanation of the gospel. <clears throat> and when you look at verses, chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, you see there's a real urgency to have the gospel right. Because it says in chapter 15, verse 1, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you've taken your stand. Then get this, verse 2. By this gospel you are saved. So we're saved by means of the gospel. <clears throat> the way I'm reconciled to God or have my sins forgiven, the way I know I can go to heaven is by the gospel. Not by joining a church. Not through taking sacraments in a church. Not by using rosary beads or having a Baptist minister dunk you underwater. It's not by being a do-gooder. I mean, those things are all important and they have their place in the Christian life. But we are saved by the Gospel. So, we better know what this is. We better have this down if we want to be saved and if we want others to be saved. We better have a real laser-like precise understanding of what the Gospel is. <clears throat> so what is the Gospel? What kind of a thing is it? What's its taxonomy? If we look at verses 15, 1 and 2... The thing that I see, first of all, is that the gospel is a message. It's a message. Look at verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. So it's something you preach. It's, it's a spoken message or a written message. or You sing it or you speak it over a, a bagel and coffee with somebody in the morning. It's a message that's delivered, a communication, uh, a memo. It's talking points. That's what the gospel is. And he repeats it down in verse 2. He says, by this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. So two times in two verses he tells us that the gospel is something preached. So that, anytime something's emphasized, or I should say repeated in scripture in a few verses, that, that's a clue that that's the main emphasis of the author. And so here Paul's trying to tell us that the gospel is something he's preached. And notice also that in verse 1 he says, the gospel I preached to you, and then in verse 2, he says, the word I preach to you. So that's just yet another confirmation that the gospel is a word. It's a message. It's a, an announcement, a news flash. It's information that's communicated. In fact, the whole word gospel means good news. Uh, the Greek word for gospel is euangelion. And the fact from which we get our word evangelism, euangelion, turn the U into kind of a V, evangelion, evangelism. So euangelion is a Greek word for evangelism, and it literally means good news. Uh, you is a prefix that means like good. Eulogy. You know, give a eulogy at a funeral. It's a good word about somebody who's deceased. And then angelion means an announcement. Uh, an angelos in Greek is an angel. It's a messenger who announces something. So it's the euangelion. It's the good news. Good news. That's the meaning of that word. So the gospel is a message. And maybe you're thinking... Okay, you know, duh. I mean, why, why are we covering this? This is so obvious. You know, no, no, there's a point to this. And the point is that if we lose sight of the fact that the gospel is a message and that we're saved through this, this delivery of this message that's either preached or written or talked about or sung or whatever, sent an email to somebody, then what we're going to do naturally is begin to substitute other things, even good things, for the gospel. And we're going to think that we're, because we're doing these other things, even doing other good things, that we are engaged in evangelism. But we're not. 
Because the gospel is a message. Uh, for instance, uh, a really good thing that we're supposed to do as Christians is help those who are in need. That's very important. But helping someone with their physical or emotional or material needs is not the gospel, even though we should be doing that. Uh, if you go to a developing nation and help sick children by bringing them medicine they don't have, or if you go to a nursing home, visit an elderly person who's lonely, and you bring them encouragement, or, or if you know a single parent who's not a Christian and you decide to help them out because they're in a tight spot financially and you give them a couple hundred bucks, you know, that's not the gospel. Should we do those things as Christians? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it, does that reflect the reality of the gospel in our lives? Does it show that this is the real deal? Of course. Is this a way of, of kind of greasing the skids so that people know we really do actually love them and that so when we speak the gospel, they'll listen? Yes. But let's be really precise. Let's put on our theological wonk hats here. That's not the gospel because the gospel is a message. And it's possible to meet someone's physical needs, to, to teach the illiterate, to heal the sick, to feed the hungry, to bring justice to those who are oppressed, and still they never hear the gospel. Because the gospel is a message. It's a message. And that raises a second question. should raise a second question in your minds. What's the message? Okay, if it's a message, well, what, you know, what, what are the, what's the gist of the message? What are the talking points? Give me the talking points of the gospel so, so that I know essentially what uh, the gospel is. And what is I'm supposed to say? And we get the talking points in verses 3 through 8. This is a very uh, specific uh, summary of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So what you're about to hear is of first importance. Let me put it this way. What we're about to read is the most important thing in the Bible. So you have this whole book, you know, what's the main point? You're about to read the most important thing that's in the Bible. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared also to me as to one abnormally born. So Paul gives us this list of people who saw him to emphasize the reality of the resurrection. That's why all that sort of list of guys is there. So that's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus Christ crucified for our sins, buried, and then raised. That's the good news. So let's, let's look a little bit closer now. Let's kind of zoom in on this verse. First of all, he, was, he, he died. Christ died, what's that? For our sins. All right, stop there. That's a loaded phrase. And that's important because it means that when we share the gospel, we not only say the fact that Jesus died, but we also have to communicate to people why he died. It's not just enough to say Jesus was crucified, but it's he died for our sins. I call this the bad news. If the gospel is the good news, then we've got to share the bad news. If people are going to understand why the good news is so good, they first have to have a grasp of the bad news. And, and sometimes people get it, sometimes people don't. So you have to sort of feel out when you're sharing the gospel with someone, do they understand the bad news? And the bad news is, well, I don't know any other way to break the bad news to you except just to be straight, we're all sinners. That every one of us stands before God guilty, convicted, condemned, unworthy of God's grace. There's no one who's good enough. 
Uh, I remember one time I got to share the gospel with a guy in a gym uh, several years ago, and he knew I was a pastor. And one day the conversation sort of went in a spiritual direction, and the, the guy says to me, you know, well, I, I, hey, I, I go to church sometimes, and I try to be a good person. He says, I'm not a bad person, am I? And I, I said, you know, should I do this? I'll, I'll do it, whatever. <laughs> He's a big guy, but you know, whatever. I'll just. And, and I, said, I said, actually, I said, you are a bad person. And he was like, and I said, well, so am I. It so is all these guys in the gym. And that lady over there, she's a bad person. We all are. We're all sinful people. Every single one of us has failed to live according to God's laws. Every single one of us has failed to love God with our whole hearts. We failed to love our neighbor. Our morality, the Bible says, is like filthy rags in God's sight. We are sinful people. That's the bad news. But then the bad news gets worse. Because it's not just that we're sinners... And then God's like, oh, that's okay, that's my cute. No, 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 no. The, the second part of the bad news is because we are sinners, we are headed on a collision course with the judgment of God. That our future as sinners against God is judgment, wrath, uh, hell. That's where my ticket is punched for without Jesus. That's where I'm going because I'm a sinner against God. And that's why, people, it's so much easier to share the gospel in a prison than at Starbucks. <laughs> you know? Because at least in a jail, you go, okay, look, you guys, you understand you're sinners, right? They're like, yeah. <laughs> I'm wearing this nice sinner jumpsuit. I mean, you know, I... And I loved, I, you know, I've, I've spoken in jails. It's wonderful. Is you're right there. You can go right into the good news. But at Starbucks, you're like, you know, friend, you're a sinner. The guy puts down his double-thick mocha latte with extra whipped cream. He's like, oh, that is so offensive. You know? It's like... I drive a hybrid. I'm environmentally sensitive. And, and I have a master's degree, and that's decaf. I mean, look at me. You know... I'm sort of breaking into Thurston Howell from Gilligan's Island here. You know, lovey, look, you know. It's, it's so hard to tell people at Starbucks the gospel because they first have to understand the bad news and no one wants to hear it. You know, I'm fine, I'm, I'm fine. I'm like, no, you're not fine. We are sinful people in the, in the view of God. So that's the bad news. And, and unless people get that, the good news isn't going to sound like anything good. But that, then you go to the good news. What's the good news? that despite the fact that I deserve to just be trampled down with the hoofs of judgment, God loved me so much that He sent His own Son, Jesus Christ, to become a human being and die for my sins. In other words, Jesus, Jesus took the, the judgment that I deserved. That's what it means to, that He died for my sins. That I should go to hell, but instead Jesus endured hell on that cross. That I deserve to have God's frown upon me, but Jesus was frowned upon so that God could smile upon me. That's the good news. Christ died for our sins. And then what's the next part of it? He was buried. Very important. He really died. He actually, literally died. And that's important because it means that He really did pay the penalty for sin. If He didn't die... The penalty of sin is death, so the guy's got to die because that's where sin leads. And then the third part, he was raised on the third day. 
also very critical for the gospel because if Jesus wasn't raised, then I'm not really sure if my sins were really paid for and atoned for. Because if Jesus was crucified and he died and he was buried but he didn't rise again, I go, hmm, maybe he died for his own sins. <laughs> That's why he's still in that grave. But when he rose, he was vindicated by God. God said, yes, he has accomplished the task. Sin is atoned for and my son is vindicated. And so that's why the resurrection is an essential ingredient to the gospel. If you come, like some people have come to me and said, you know, I believe in Jesus. I don't buy that resurrection stuff. You don't believe in Jesus. I mean, you believe in a Jesus of your own concoction, but it's not the biblical gospel. To believe in Christ and to be a Christian, you must have this essential truth, the crucifixion for our sins, burial, and physical resurrection. And I mean, look, Paul goes on and on in verses... Uh, four and following, we didn't really focus on, or five and following, we didn't focus on those verses, but he gives this laundry list of people who saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. He goes, look, some of them are still living. You guys who are reading this letter in Corinth, you know, go check it out. You can go hang out with these guys. They can tell you they saw Jesus. Hundreds of people saw him after he rose. He's really alive today. Jesus is really alive. He's more alive than you and I are right now. And our life in, as Christians comes from him. He's flowing with life. And someday he'll come again. Not in some phys, uh, spiritual, metaphysical sense, but he'll literally come again because he's alive. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. So here's our talking points. One, the bad news. We are sinners who are destined for judgment. But the good news, God in his great pity and mercy sent his own son to die on a cross for my sins. He was buried and he was raised. And then I think when you take the first talking point and the second talking point together, they sort of imply a third talking point which we need to have, which is the response. People need to be nudged to respond and receive the gospel message. You have to receive the message. And we see that back in chapter 15, verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. So it's not just enough to say the words, but the person who hears it has to receive it and respond to it. That's what Jesus said. Jesus' basic message when he was on earth was repent and believe because the kingdom of God is at hand. Our response to the gospel is to repent of my sins and then to believe in Jesus in his death for me and to trust in that for my salvation. That's, that's the basic response to the gospel. And so all responsible gospel preaching includes an urgent plea with the hearer to receive the gospel. You, you know, you, you, get, you get past the sinner thing and then you share the gospel with your best friend at Starbucks. And then then you've got to say, look, man, you know, the only reason I'm telling you this is because I love you. You know, you're, we've been friends for six years now and look, we golf together. And we, you know, we do this together. And you know, I, I'm just telling you this because I love you. This is the most important thing that you need to hear. And you don't, maybe you don't see it that way. And man, I, I just, I look at your life, you know, we've talked about your marriage, you know, it's, it's on the rocks, we've talked about your, you know, your business and some of the issues you have, and man, I just see the effects of sin in your life, and I've been there, and I, I'm just begging you, consider Christ, come to Christ, you know, you tried everything else in the world, it isn't working, man, come to Jesus, look what he's done for my life, you're always saying that there's something different about me, it can be different about you too, and you know, you just got to plead with sinners. You've got to say, come to Christ. It's not just enough to be like, you know, a bullhorn on the street. Jesus died for our sins. Oh, did the gospel. No, no, no. We need to plead with people. If we love people, we're going to plead and urge them to come to Christ in the appropriate time and in the appropriate way. 
through who you are and your personality and these circumstances. But we've got to invite people to come to Jesus. There must be a response. That is the gospel message. The, the gospel message is not come to church. All right? That's not the gospel message. Should we invite people to church? Yes. Will they hear the gospel at church? Hope so. <laughs> Otherwise, they're going to the wrong church. But uh, that's not the gospel. The gospel is a sinner under the judgment of God, but Jesus has been crucified, buried, raised, so repent and believe in Jesus. That's the basic gospel message. The basic gospel message is not God loves you. That's part of the gospel message, but that's not the whole gospel message. The gospel message is not let's all be friends, it's not let's be tolerant, it's not you're okay, I'm okay. <laughs> the basic gospel message is Christ crucified, buried, and raised. And so we've got to have that. Alright, so let's recap. What is the gospel? A message. What is the message? Three talking points. First of all, bad news. We're sinners under the judgment of God. Then the good news. Jesus was crucified for our sins. He was buried and raised. And then the third talking point of, of the gospel is really the, the urging someone to believe in Christ and calling people, inviting people, telling people they need to repent from their sins and turn to Jesus. That's the gospel message. And every Christian should know the basic gospel message. Every Christian can know the basic gospel message because it's so simple. This is not rocket science. It's not some secret, hidden thing. You know, it's not like you've got to be a 33rd degree mason in the Blue Lodge and learn all the handshakes and, you know, then we give you the gospel message. It's nothing like that. You know, the gospel is just something so obvious. You don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to have gone to seminary. You don't even have to know how to read. You can just learn the gospel message. It's so simple. And so what I want to do is to give you a little homework. And your homework is due by the end of this sermon series, so it's due on May 8th. Uh, and, and your homework is, is this. Your homework is to memorize four short Bible verses, very short Bible verses between now and then, that will give you the basic talking points of the gospel. If you already have these memorized, then I guess you're all set. But, uh, or, or maybe you can memorize other, similar, memorize other similar kinds of verses. Because I want this whole church, I want everyone in this church to be equipped with the bare basics of, of how to share the gospel. I want you to have four verses that you can pull out of your pocket and, and in two minutes take someone through the gospel message. Because sometimes that's all you have, two minutes with a person. That's how long the door is open. You've got to know what you're saying. You've got to be ready to speak when the opportunity is there, right? When the moment comes, you can't say, oh, can I give me my pastor's email? No, 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 no. <laughs> you need to have the gospel. So here's the verses. Uh, you want to take a pencil if you want to jot them down. Um, uh, it's, it's, they're all from the same book of the Bible, Romans. It's a little thing I call, and other people call, the Romans Road. And you need to know the Romans Road. I, when I was... Uh, Seventh grade, I was at a Bible camp, and they asked, who here wants to learn how to share their faith better? And I was like, me. And I looked around, and all my other friends were like, dork. And I was like... <laughs> but it was great, because afterwards, a very godly man in our church named Paul Dosh, uh, Paul Dosh took me outside. He said, Jeremy, I saw you raised your hand. He goes, I'm going to tell you how to share your faith. And he sat down with me, and in about uh, ten minutes, he shared with me the Romans Road. And that little thing I got in seventh grade is what I still use today. You know, maybe there's a better one. I'm sure there is, but I just kind of stick. I'm a creature of habit. I just use the Romans Road. 
Alright, so turn to Romans. It's one book before 1 Corinthians. So if you're still in 1 Corinthians, just flip back like six pages and you'll be in Romans. Four verses. You can memorize them easy. Everyone here, I don't care how bad your memory is, you should be able to memorize four short verses in the next two weeks. You can do it. I mean, you memorize, you know, your password for your email account and you've got 20 people's phone numbers memorized. You can memorize this verse. It's very easy to do. So uh, here's the first verse. It's Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans 3.23 is the first verse. And it's the bad news. Romans 3.23. And that says, very easy, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So when you're sitting there at Starbucks, you, you hand your Bible to the guy across the table and you say, hey, read verse 23 to me. He reads it. She reads it. What does that say? What does that mean? Just ask questions. What, what, what does that mean? Well, I guess it means we're all sinners. Yeah, you know, we, we fall short of God's glory. Is that true? Oh, I don't know. Have you perfectly lived up to God's law? Well, well I all make mistakes. You know. Well, okay. That's what the verse is saying. We're all sinful people. We fall short of the glory. Then the second verse you take him to is easy to remember. Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 is the other half of the bad news with a segue into the good news. So underline this verse in your Bibles. Mark it in your whatever, your little piece of paper, and you can memorize this. For the wages of sin is death. That's the other half of the bad news. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the wages of sin is death. So in other words, it's not just that we're sinners, but there's a wage. We, we earn something with our sins. We get a paycheck because of our sins, and the paycheck is death. And that just doesn't mean physical death, it means spiritual, eternal death as well. But, and here now we're launching into the good news, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just as eternal death is the consequence of sin, eternal life is the consequence of this gift. And you can contrast, what's the difference between a wage and a gift? You know, you can really get into it with somebody. Well, a wage is something we earn, but what's the gift? Do you earn it? No. Do you deserve it? No. It's a free gift, and you can talk about that. And then, after you've sort of established that, then you've got to go into the heart of the good news, which is Jesus dying for us. So then you go to Romans 5, 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He asked the person, read that verse. Why did Jesus die? for our sins and talk about the idea of Jesus taking our place that Jesus paid the penalty that we deserve and now it's time for the closer you have to urge them to respond and then I go to Romans 10.9 that's my fourth verse I take people to if I have the time Romans chapter 10 verse 9 if, if eternal life is a free gift how do I receive the gift? What do you do to, to get it? Do I need to go to your church? Is there some ritual I need to do? Is there some amount of good deeds? How do I ascertain the gift? We see it in Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. Oh, it can't be that easy. Read it. I didn't write this stuff. This is the Bible. Read it. Believe. Oh, you come on. I mean, you've got to, you've got to do some works. You've got to work off your sin a little bit. And you've got to, 
you know, maybe go help out in a homeless shelter or some. And, you know, it's like, well, no, that's all good stuff, but that's not how we come to salvation. It's through what Jesus did. We have to trust in Christ. And then you urge someone to be saved. If you can memorize those four verses, which I think pretty much everyone here can, um, then you have in your hands the basic gospel message. And we have to be ready in a moment's notice. Because you know something in fishing? When you get a hit on your line, you know, the fish didn't keep hitting for an hour. I mean, you got a hit, and you have to know how to set the hook. Otherwise, it's gone. That's it. And sometimes when you have an opportunity to share the gospel, it's like a blip. And if you're not ready with those texts, if you don't know how to share it, then, then it's gone. I'll never forget the story of uh, Bill Hybels told. He's a pastor of uh, Willow Creek Community Church in Illinois, I, uh, where I attended when I was in college for a couple months. And uh, Bill is an avid sailor, loves to sail, sails competitively. And on vacation, he goes to warm places and sails. And it, I guess one, on one of these trips, he bumped into a bunch of people. You know, you sort of get into the boating culture. You just meet other people. And, you, oh, let's have dinner together. So he got invited, he and his wife, to this, this person's big boat. And there's a bunch of couples there, and they all had dinner together. And, you know, he didn't know any of them, but he was sort of meeting people. And uh, they found out he was a pastor, and they didn't really talk about that. They just stayed away from spiritual conversation. Just kind of a cordial, your typical cocktail party on a boat in the Caribbean or whatever uh, that we're all familiar with. Um, <laughs> so so the evening's over. Evening's over. Bill's climbing down the ladder over the side of the boat. And the guy who owns the boat, as Bill tells the story, he leans over to him. He says, hey, Bill, by the way, uh, what is it that you believe? You know? Isn't that how it is? It's not like... You know, people don't come to you and say, I'm going to set up an appointment to come and we're going to talk for an hour and I want you to explain your faith. It doesn't ever happen that way. It's always like when you're walking out of the elevator and this guy's going to his office and you're going to yours or you're sitting on the bus and it's like five minutes before you get back to school after the soccer tournament or, you know, you're just over the fence talking to the guy who's barbecuing in the backyard and you've got to go because your burgers are burning and that's always when they ask, what is it that you believe? And at that moment, do not say, let me give you my pastor's email. <laughs> Don't say that. You need to say, you got two minutes? Can I just tell you really quickly? And, and, and don't talk about your church. Don't talk about your Bible study. Go for the jugular. <laughs> give them the gospel. Don't invite them to church. Don't tell them about, you, you know, whatever. Tell them the gospel. You've got two minutes. And just say, well, you know, it's real simple. I believe that, that all of us have failed God. That none of us are worthy. And, and the reason I go to church isn't because I think I'm better than people. It's because I'm a sinner. But, but, you know, what I believe is that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. And that anybody can have their sins forgiven and be reconciled to God through Jesus. And, you know, you need Jesus, man. <laughs> I love you. You know, you're a nice guy and all. But I need Jesus. We all need him. And uh, let's get together sometime for coffee and I can tell you more about it gospel delivered. And you need to be able to do that in a moment's notice. May God equip you with the gospel. May you have that, that ready. So that's the gospel. Next week, we'll talk about evangelism. The, the process of sharing. And I've kind of given you hints about that already, what evangelism is. But next week, we're going to talk more about the process of evangelism. Let's pray.
Jesus, I thank You that You died on the cross for me. I'm such a lost and sinful man. Lord, I'm not worthy to speak these words to this congregation or to lead in this communion meal, but I thank You, Jesus, that You died for me and that I'm covered in Your righteousness, that You are pleased with me because I am in Christ. Jesus, thank You for Your salvation. Help me to see the Gospel as of first importance, that it is the most important message there is. Lord, I spend so much time listening to stupid messages that our culture gives, but Lord, the Gospel is the message. Lord, help me to know it backwards and forwards, to treasure it, to ponder it, and to be ready in two minutes to share it with somebody. Lord, equip this congregation to fish. And then, Lord, we pray. Help us to land some. Help us to bring in others, who then in turn, they might become fishers of men. In your name we pray. Amen. As we come to the communion meal, as we come to the Lord's Supper, we come to an enactment a symbol of the gospel. The part of the gospel is portrayed.